welcome to the worship service at the Seventh-day Adventist Church in Hayward, California, a multicultural church in the San Francisco East Bay that worships on the Seventh-day Sabbath, Saturday. The ministry of the Word by Pastor Paul Penno is the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ to forgive sin and save from sin by his cross and ministry as priest in the heavenly sanctuary the third angel's message in verity. Join us now as the service is in progress. There are two kinds of prayer. There is self-centered prayer, and there is agape-centered prayer. And for the most part, all that Jesus hears day in and day out, for century after century, are self-centered prayers. Lord, I need some food to eat. Lord, my mother is sick. Please heal her. Lord, I need a car. My old one is costing too much to operate. Lord, please give me good grades so I can get into that career school. Lord, I've really gotten myself into a mess now, and if you get me out of this one, I promise I will consecrate my life to your service. Now, Ellen White says in Steps to Christ, page 96, that to claim that prayer will always be answered in the very way and for the particular thing that we desire is presumption. You want it repeated? But to claim that prayer will always be answered in the very way and for the particular thing that we desire is presumption. Steps to Christ, page 96. You know, we're mildly amused, aren't we, and gratified when our children are so dependent upon us that they're constantly asking us for money, uh, for emotional support, for handouts. It makes them dependent upon us, and so we feel like we're a little in control of them. But constantly giving our children things only causes them to be more selfish, and they never learn how to give to others. Has God given us a prayer, given us prayer in order that we can constantly be using it as a tool for getting what we want? Is God just some kind of a giant Santa Claus in the sky who has a North Pole full of goodies? that are showered upon us on demand. Since we are Seventh-day Adventists, we ought to ask this question. What should our prayer life look like as far as a people who are preparing for the second coming of Jesus in light of our sanctuary truth? Wouldn't you say that ought to be a good question we ought to ask ourselves? Now, if Christians for centuries have offered self-centered prayers, and the Lord has not yet returned to get his people, we ought to ask this question. How are we to grow up in a more clear and mature way in our prayers in order to hasten our Lord's return? How? Certainly, since agape comes from Jesus' holiest of all ministry, we should follow him there, shouldn't we, by faith? 
into all of the truth that he has to teach us regarding prayer and maturing and having a clear understanding of prayer. And we ought to follow him in his example. Is not Jesus our example in prayer? After all, the remnant should have learned something. I mean, this people who sit now on the shoulders of 6,000 years of history and Christians of the past, and we have learned something from the failure of ancient as well as modern Israel's failures of the past, we should have learned something from history. Amen? Amen? Jesus wants to teach us our history. He wants to teach us the secret of overcoming self-centeredness by means of seeing his love radiating from the cross so that the cross becomes our glory. It's the opposite of self-centeredness. The opposite of self-centered prayers. Now, the hero in our story today, which teaches us this lesson, who do you say is the hero in our story? It's got to be Jesus, right? Jesus is the hero. And the foil to Jesus' purpose in our story is the disciples, because they come off looking very lukewarm in their devotion. And they want to frustrate, they want to hinder Jesus from going into the home of this Canaanite. And the praying Syrophoenician woman is the world whom Jesus came to save. Now, Jesus took his disciples on a side trip into enemy territory to the north of Israel. And he went on an excursion outside the boundaries of the church in order to teach his disciples a lesson in agape-oriented mission service. His divine foresight was focused on one woman whose need compelled her to be drawn to Jesus. Look at Mark chapter 7 and verse 26. It tells us that she was a pagan, pure and simple. Matthew, Mark, rather, 7.26 says that the woman was a Greek, a Syrophoenician by nation, and she besought him that he would cast forth the devil out of her daughter. So she was a Greek, she was a Syrophoenician, and she was a Canaanite. And as such, she was a Baal worshiper, which is the religion of self, disguised as the religion of the true God. You see, Satan had convinced the pagans that all things living as well as dead were gods. And this is how he gained entrance into this woman's home and possessed her daughter. Can you imagine the epileptic-type fits that she must have been subjected to on an ongoing basis, throwing herself onto the floor, cutting her wrists, spitting at her mother, hissing and cooing. What a horror this must have been for this poor mother. So why in the world would Jesus even go into such a home? Women, women of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, look at Jesus. Jesus presented himself. I'm going to answer that question, why Jesus would go into that home. But I want you, you to see, first of all, the reason why Jesus went to that home. Because he presented himself 
to John the Baptist as a candidate for baptism, for the repentance of sins. And that's why John forbade Jesus to be baptized, because when John the Baptist saw Jesus coming, he recognized in Jesus the sinless one. Amen? But Jesus, uh, John said, no, I need to be baptized of you. But Jesus said this to John, suffer, or in other words, let it be so now, for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. Now, Ellen White illuminates that statement in uh, Our Supply in Christ, where she says, after Christ had taken the necessary steps in, you might want to back this off a little bit, after Christ had taken the necessary steps in repentance, conversion, and faith in behalf of the human race, he went to John to be baptized of him in the Jordan. Christ, in actuality, repented for the sins of you and of me and of the whole world before he was baptized. The whole world. And whatever Jesus did in terms of repentance and prayer, I will tell you it was genuine. There was no acting job. He felt it when he repented. He was sincere. Jesus never put anything on for show. Amen? So you may be sure that he did this with tears, with genuineness of heart. And at his baptism, God made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, Paul says, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says that. So the infinite Son of God took upon himself every soul. Every pagan was included. He repented for the sins of everyone. And then, as the sinless one, he submitted himself to the baptism of repentance for sins. And this is why it's very significant John records in chapter 2, verse 25, that Jesus needed not that any should testify of man, for he knew what was in man. He knows what is in you. He knows what is in me. He knew what was in that Syrophoenician woman. And this is why Jesus was the perfect soul winner. Jesus was the perfect soul winner because he experienced repentance for the whole world. Now, in the sentence that precedes the one that I just quoted to you from Ellen White, she says this, the Lord can take every one of us in his embrace for his arm encircles the race. Now we see why she made that statement. He had every, every sinner written upon his heart. He was the example. He is the example of agape-oriented corporate repentance. 
He repented on on their behalf in actuality. He repented for their sins, for the sins of others, which he did not commit himself. He repented of your sins, of addictions, dear heart. He repented of your illicit desires, dear heart. He repented of your egocentric motivations. He did this because of his great love for you. Is it not time that he receive his reward and in turn you give him a corporate repentance for the self which you have indulged? You know something? I absolutely give it to a woman. She knows exactly what a man needs. Now, ladies... Use those perceptive powers and ask yourself, what does Jesus need? Because he is a man. He is a human being as well as the Son of God. Ladies, use your perceptive powers and ask yourself, what does Jesus need? You see, he took a self, just like you to have a self, which required a constant subjection to the cross throughout his lifetime. If he had not denied himself, he would have pleased himself. Paul writes, Christ pleased not himself in Romans chapter 15, verse 3. We are written in every fiber of his being. He, he bears our humanity to this very day. And this is why he went outside the boundaries of the church in order to reach this Syrophoenician woman. I want you to analyze what individual repentance is. Is individual repentance egocentric or is it Christ-centered? Now, you'll have to admit that it is egocentric. I do not say that anything egocentric is evil necessarily, but let's honestly face the fact that individual repentance is based on fear and a desire for personal security in God's kingdom. And that, of course, is the usual appeal in our modern evangelism. Individually, you need to repent. Corporate repentance is genuinely Christ-centered. It is not based on fear or concern for reward or security by sensing a concern for the guilt of the sins of the whole world. Corporate repentance makes an offering to God that is acceptable because it is not selfish. It is a genuine abhorrence of sin and a genuine concern for God's vindication. Individual repentance is a vain hope for finishing the work in this generation. Our brethren have been calling for individual repentance for, for decades in our church. Earnest, sincere appeals for individual repentance are frequent in the sermons that are preached for over a century. And the latter rain has not come. And as long as we are concerned for our own forgiveness our own justification, our own security, the power for finishing the work 
is absent. Such a concern is eros-dominated. It does not provide the constraint that will move human beings to the kind of consecration that is needed to finish the work. As long as self remains our center, we will continue to be lukewarm. Only a Christ-centered motive can possibly deliver us. And corporate repentance is agape-related. It provides the love which will love others as Christ has loved us. Jesus, as Christ, just as Christ identified himself with every sinner on earth, taking the steps that the sinner must take, including repentance in behalf of the human race, so in corporate repentance we identify ourselves with every sinner on earth, accepting not a one of them. I sense how another sin is in reality mine, how that I have nothing of myself. There is no righteousness of my own, absolutely none. And as long as I confine my repentance to individual repentance, I do not feel any guilt for another sin. I repent only for my own personal acts of sin. If I haven't committed murder, I don't need repentance for murder. I've got my own righteousness so far as that is concerned, and I can't possibly repent on behalf of my neighbor's murder. To that extent, I do not need the righteousness of Christ. I've got my own. Individual repentance is only for my own individual acts of sin. Corporate repentance is what Christ experienced. And it is for the world's sin. All sin. And in corporate repentance, I feel how I too am guilty of murder. Didn't my sins put Jesus on the cross? And all I need is the opportunity the circumstances, the background, my buttons pushed, the provocation that my brother had, and lo, I am involved in murder with him. And therefore, corporate repentance is true depth repentance and is the only true kind that will enable me to grow up in Christ. If Christ experienced corporate repentance in behalf of of the human race, are we so much better than he that we don't need it? He delighted the Father. Jesus delighted the Father when he experienced corporate repentance in behalf of the sins of the world because the Father proclaimed from heaven following his baptism, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And as long as each of us is beating his breast in anguish concern for his own personal security, the Father can never say that of us. It may be objected, well, it's okay for Christ to experience corporate repentance, but we don't have a need for that kind of experience. All we need to get into the kingdom is concern for ourselves. I would answer in the words of Scripture, let this mind which was in Christ Jesus, be in you. Because Jesus will have a people who will follow the Lamb whithersoever he goeth. 
and who will grow up into maturity in him. Corporate repentance will become love in action. It will transform the entire Seventh-day Adventist church like a dynamo of Christ-like love. Denominational repentance is merely acceptance by the denomination of the scriptural truth of repentance as it was exemplified in Christ's incarnation. So Jesus took his disciples through all of the hassles of a border crossing from the church out into the world. Now open your Bibles to Matthew 15 and verse 22. It says, Behold, a woman of Canaan came out of the same coast and cried unto him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with a devil. But he answered her not a word. And his disciples came and besought him, saying, Send her away, for she crieth after us. You know, Jesus treated her like any typical Jew would treat her or even his own disciples would treat a pagan. He ignored her. And while Jesus was trying to show his disciples their typical attitude toward Gentiles, the disciples fell right into the trap and appealed to him to get rid of her. And they had no sympathy whatsoever for her prayer. They could not identify with her. They had never been vexed by the devil, either personally or with kith and kin. And they didn't realize how much they owed to the divine protection of God from the devil. And it seems that the situation is compounded by Jesus' follow-up words here in verse 24 when he answered and said, I am not sent unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And the disciples thought, well, he's speaking about true Israel here. But therein lay a ray of hope for this Gentile woman whose faith was really being tested because she viewed herself as one of the lost sheep of the house of Israel. You see, an Israelite, an Israelite transcends ethnic boundaries. In fact, a genetic descendant of Abraham who frustrates the grace of God is not an Israelite indeed. Those who are of faith in Christ are true Israel. And an Israelite, by definition, is an overcomer in Christ. And so she persists in her prayer. In verse 25, she says, Then came she and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me! Now, I know superficially you might conclude that this is an egocentric prayer. Lord, help me! But in reality, this is a prayer that she's totally emptied of self. She is expressing a heart condition of complete and utter self-crucifixion. She is prostrate before him. But again, he tests what manner of faith she has for if there's any kind of selfishness in her faith, it will certainly be awakened by what he has to say to her now. Look at the next verse, 26. He answered and he said, 
It is not meat to take the children's bread and cast it to the dogs. I think most of us would take offense at this, wouldn't we? Who could stand the apparent insult of becoming a, of being called a dog? If there was any self left in this woman, pride would rise to the occasion in its defense, wouldn't it? Who does this guy think he is calling me a witch with a bee? It appears as though Jesus is not very complimentary to women on their special day. I say appears because Jesus did not really call her a dog. Jesus was merely expressing the cliched viewpoint of the Jewish attitude towards the Gentiles. It's like calling Italians a wop, a person who flaunts an overbearing, cocky, and swaggering attitude. I happen to be a dog lover. I would feed dog, dogs table scraps at the drop of a hat. In fact, I can remember times as a kid when the food served us children wasn't so appealing. And so when no one was looking, I would sneak it under the table with my hand, and my dog Rippy was always there to get me out of a jam. And mother always gave the dog the table scraps because the dog was part of the family too. And so this woman glums onto Jesus' own words and she takes the sword of his word from his hand and she thrusts it as an argument right back to him because he has opened the door just a crack for the dog to come in and she's going to kick the door wide open all the way. So she says, she prays to him in verse 27, Truth, Lord, yet the dogs eat of the crumbs which fall from the master's table. Lord, I'm part of the family too, even though I'm a dog. Don't dogs get the crumbs too? And if all I can get is a crumb from your hand, Lord, that's sufficient for my need. And it will be an infinite supply over the nothingness that I have now. This was sufficient for Jesus to show the disciples what true faith is. In verse 28, then Jesus answered and said unto her, O woman, great is thy faith, be it unto thee even as thou wilt. And her daughter was made whole from that very hour. Faith is an appreciation of the agape of Christ. There was no self left in her. Therefore, she could appreciate the love of Christ. And for this Gentile woman to come to the point where there was no self left in her means that she saw in Christ the principle of the cross. She was experiencing, she was experiencing with him the principle of corporate repentance. In order for self to be denied, the Holy Spirit reveals everything there is, whether out in the open or hidden beneath the surface. 
It is to see the sins of others as my own sins. And folks, this is our day of atonement, repentance. This is the deeper meaning of our sanctuary truth to which Jesus, our priestly healer, is leading us as a remnant people. Thus far, thus far, modern Israel has not heeded Christ's words to Laodicea. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. But the Lord is not really dependent upon the many, but a remnant. If the Seventh-day Adventist women really wish to demonstrate leadership, then let them give their Savior what he is due in this Day of Atonement, a repentance not to be repented of. If you really want to follow the example of Jesus, to follow the Lamb whithersoever he goeth, then give Jesus what he wants, just as did this Syrophoenician woman. She gave him a heart that was emptied of all self. Thus she had the privilege of dwelling with the high and the lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy, who proclaimed, I dwell in the high and the holy place with her also that is of a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. Isaiah 57, 15. Why don't the women of the Hayward Church do something unique in all of Christian history? The men, the men aren't taking the lead in this. The church isn't taking the lead in this. The women's Divisional leadership aren't taking the lead in this. Why not do what Christ prophesied in Zechariah chapter 12 and verse 10? Look at it. Zechariah 12 and verse 10. And I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplications and they shall look upon me whom they have pierced. Women of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, lead us by your example to the foot of the cross, will you? You'll notice that the message of the cross are accompanied by the Holy Spirit of grace. If you really are serious about the latter rain, the Holy Spirit comes through the application of the message of the cross to your heart. The Holy Spirit is not an emotion or a feeling. It is the message of the cross.
Now, you can say that you have perfect repentance if by faith you see what it costs the dear Savior to die for you. If you love the sinner for whom Jesus repented, then you can say you have faith. If you love the misogynist, but not his sin, then you can say you have faith. If you love the bigot, but not his sin, then you can say you have faith. If you love the abuser and not the sin, you can say that you have faith. If you love the Marxist, but not his sin, then you can say you have faith. If you love the pro-choice advocate, but not his sin, then you can say you have faith. If you love the adulterer, but not his sin, then you can say you have faith, etc., etc., etc. Such a repentant soul will have recognized that all of these potential sins exist in herself, but for the compelling love of God and his restraining power. Christ does not need another student's rights movement. Christ does not need another feminist rights movement. Christ does not need another male-dominated hierarchy. What Jesus deserves and what will really honor him most is a truly born-again remnant people, born of the agape of God, a cross-centered people, a people who are experiencing a deepening repentance, drawing closer and closer to Christ as their only boast is the cross of Christ. I didn't have the courage to ask any woman to get up and give a response to this sermon. Join us again next time for the word of God which will feed the soul. I am committed to bring you the fullness of the gospel as Jesus has revealed it to us in order to prepare a people for his soon coming.